to see all of you. Been gone for a thank you very much. We had a good time away, and thank you for uh, leaving us alone. We appreciate it. We really do. Uh, I appreciate the board of directors uh, and their vision and foresight for the sabbaticals and stuff. I, it's not something that a lot of pastors get to enjoy. And uh, our boards are very, very supportive and implemented this a few years ago, and we appreciate it very much. Kim and I had a great time, and uh, we uh, got a lot done on our house, and uh, we may be out of our camper in a month or so. And that would be good. I'm tired of living in a box with wheels. I'm just tired of it. But we had a good time. We really did. And uh, just encourage you to get involved in Halloween on the Hill. We got it coming up. Real quick, if you're a business and we need, we need more business sponsors, we need about five or six more business sponsors, please stop by the hub and do that. And uh, we just need to make sure we, we cover all of our bases this year. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were work, I was working on the house and, and uh, Kim's outside and she's caulking all the, the holes that I made in the house and, and trying to fix the, the things that I broke and, and the gaps that I left in, in siding and stuff like that. Well, I, my job was to run all the plumbing and all the water lines, and so I'm under the house. Now, I'm not a small guy. I'm not a small guy, but I'm under the house. And, of course, you know me. I don't like snakes at all. <clears throat> and so I, I, before I crawl under the house, I take some of these bug bombs, and I, throw them, I light them and throw them under the house. And then I crawl under there with a flashlight, and I got this steel rake that I'm just raking everything out in front of me and, and everything. And so... Finish running the drain lines for the septic system and, and all that and crawl out from under the house and I'm nasty and Kim says, you need to come around here. I go around the front of the house and evidently there was a critter under the house with me. Yeah, I run a little pygmy rattlesnake out from underneath the house. Now I'm going to tell you folks something. I killed him. Yes, I did. But yes, praise Jesus, hallelujah. We're in revival here. We all, we, we all. But I'm going to tell you something. If I'd have crawled up on that thing underneath that house, we would be rebuilding the house. <laughs> it would be a complete demolition because I'd have come right, right through the floor of that thing and destroyed the place, I'm telling you. That's how much I dislike snakes. But thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's given us dominion over those things and he did. <laughs> so... All right, let's get into the teaching today. I, 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 I have a word. I think I've got a word from the Lord for you today. I know it's been a word for me over the last few weeks as I've studied this out and, and worked to put it together for you. And I don't know how long I'm going to be. I hadn't preached in a month. So, we, I mean, you, you may be in here for the long haul. It's been, you know, I may have just a lot of pent up preach that I got to get out. I don't know. But I want to talk to you today about the question. The question. When God asks a human being a question, obviously, he's certainly not seeking knowledge or revelation for himself. I mean, he, he's like God. <laughs> you know, he knows the answer before he asks. But he is, however, pushing the individual to flush it out because he knows that in the struggle of answering the question, revelation occurs. And so I want to talk to you today about the question. And you're going to know, when we read this passage, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Most of you that have been in church for any length of time. But I wonder how, how long it's been since we've individually revisited this. This happened to me about three or four weeks ago. And, and I was reading and just studying and, and just kind of meditating. One, early one morning, I was out uh, sitting around our little fire pit before Kim got up and and everything, and just kind of meditating and reading scriptures and doing my devotions for the day. And this just kind of jumped out at me. Uh, 
So here's what we're going to look at in Matthew 16, uh, three verses, uh, four verses rather, verse 13 and following. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then in verse 15, the, the approach shifts. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And he's talking to the disciples. But Peter's the one, the impetuous one. He's the one that chooses to answer the question. He just pipes up and says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Just very quickly, just bold right out there and bleh, there it is. Now, to give you some backstory, Caesarea Philippi is a, it's a Roman city. It's, it's a pagan city. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Caesarea Philippi, uh, there are multiple temples to multiple gods. When you go into that area, Kim and I have been there a few times with many of you, and, and we hope to go back next year uh, to Israel. But when we go there and we stand there, you're looking in this, it, it doesn't look like it's a very big area, Maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 acres or so in this particular area. And you're standing, you're looking at all around the side of this mountain or this hill is one temple after another carved out of the mountain. And a lot of artifacts and a lot of things like this, a historical site. But what you see there in Caesarea Philippi is that this city is a pagan city. And it's in this backdrop and it's in this setting that Jesus chooses to ask the question. Who do people say that I am? He's here. They're all among all these temples to various gods. And he's asking this question of the, of, the, of the disciples. Who do people say that I am? And then they start answering questions. Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. It's a very, it's a very generic question. Accessory of Philippi, one of the temples there is the temple, uh, the temple to the god Moloch which is, uh, you know, this is a place where they actually sacrifice children. And, and there's a great big waterfall there. And they would literally take their children and throw them off the, wall, off, off the waterfall as a sacrifice to the god Molech. They would offer them into, into the fire in that temple there. So it's a, it's, a very, it's a very interesting place. It's a very pagan place. Ungodly, godlessness, all this is there. But who do men say that I am? It's a very general question. A prophet, a teacher, a good person. Let's shift ahead a couple thousand years to present day. And let's talk about that question for just a minute. Who do men say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is? I believe in God. You ask most people in America, as a matter of fact, if you ask 63% of the American population, 210 million people in this nation claim to know Jesus. They claim to be Christians, which means you're a Christ follower or that you believe in Jesus. 63% of the people are going to go, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He's a good man. He's a prophet. He's a great teacher. He's a healer. He's all of these things. But what's interesting to me is, as I've done some research over the last few weeks, I realized and found out some things that I was kind of shocked at. Do you know that 10 years ago, the number of the American population that considered themselves to be Christian was 75%. In 10 years, we've declined from 75 to 62, or 63%. So I went back a little bit further. I went back 50 years. 50 years ago, 
90% of the American population considered themselves Christian. We've gone from 90% to 75% to 63% in 50 years. So if you do the math and you follow the, tra- the trajectory of that, by 2070, you say, well, I, that's a long ways away. Well, I didn't think 50 years ago would ever get here, but I'm telling you, I passed 50 like a while ago. <laughs> it happens like that quick. By 2070, Christianity will no longer be the majority in this nation if we stay on the same trajectory. So basically in 100 years, Christianity will go from 90% of the American populace to below 50, and it's estimated it will be below 35% of this nation. Now, what's the deal with that? I mean, people in the church, people that go to church on a regular basis, and by the way, regular attenders have now, if you're a regular attender in church, do you know that you make two Sundays out of five? If that, that you're considered a regular church attender if you make two out of five Sundays. Now, I grew up, and I'm, 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 I know I'm older than a lot of people in the room. I'm not older than some, but I'm older than some. But I grew up in a household that church was the deal. I mean, that's all we did. We worked. We went to work. Got to play a little bit of ball on the side. But never during church. You went to church, you went to church. Sunday morning, you went to church. Sunday night, you went to church. Wednesday night, and when they had revivals back in those days, you know, 50 plus years ago, when churches had revivals, they had guest speakers come in. It was Sunday to Sunday. And you start at seven o'clock at night and you would, as a kid, you'd go to sleep on the pew underneath you and you just, you know, that's what you did. And then when you, when the service was over at midnight or whatever, your parents would haul you out to the car and throw you in the bed when they got you home. I'm telling you this, just to kind of set the story, set the stage for what I want you to think about today. I'm not saying that everybody was raised that way. I'm not. I'm just saying that we've seen, when I started as a pastor 40 years ago, the average regular attender was someone that made three out of four Sundays. That was, a, that was considered a regular church attender. If you, if you made three out of four Sundays, you were considered a regular church attender. And we've watched it, we've watched it over the last 40 years, and now it's two out of five. Now, you say, well, that's a great batting average, still 400. Well, that works in baseball. You know, I'm telling you this to help you understand what is happening to the trajectory of Christianity in this country. When you ask the question of why people in the church are real quick to go, well, it's because the secularization has taken place. Everything's about secular. It's all about this. You know, and, I, and this, people have just become more cultural well they're they're they're, they're in more into culture than they are Christianity. they're more into this they're more into that and all this and I, and I just don't think that's the answer i don't think that's the answer i don't think it's because the world is compromised i think there's a deeper reason why christianity is on the decline in america and oh by the way this is the only nation on the earth that is in decline In every other country in this world, on this globe, Christianity is rising rapidly. 
even in, even in predominantly Muslim countries, Christianity is underground, but it's thriving. When communism took over 50, 60, 70 years ago, whenever it was, 70 years ago, I guess now, maybe 80, when communism took over in that area of the world, the church had to go underground because if you outwardly worship Jesus, they'd kill you. When the Iron Curtain went up, the church went underground and the nation of China was underground for decades. And then when it fell, everybody, the church is gone, the church is gone. What they found out was the church had exploded behind the Iron Curtain. All over the communist nations, the church exploded. And it just grew rapidly. In the 60s and 70s, the, the major religion in the nation of Argentina was Roman Catholicism. By the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century, the predominant religion in Argentina is Pentecostal. Christianity's thriving everywhere but America. And in America, it's tanking like a rock. And the church sits idly by and we look at it and we go, well, it's because of this and it's because of that. It's because we, you know, and we get mad if it seems like some semblance of our religious rights are being eroded. And I'm telling you today that there is no more freer country to worship how you choose to worship than this nation. This is still the greatest gig on the planet. So why is, it, why is Christianity tanking? I don't, I don't think it's because of the influence of the world on the church. I don't think that's why. And I may not, I know it's my first day back and I should be telling you things and make you feel better and, and woohoo and all this kind of stuff. And I may make some of you mad this morning, okay? I, it's not my intent. It's my, my intention this morning is to make you think. I believe the reason that Christianity is tanking in this nation is because we have lost much, if not most, of our credibility in the last few years. I think that people in the world, people outside of Christianity, have realized that we really don't believe what we say we believe. I mean, we talk a good game. I mean, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? But, uh, but the, the problem is that our lip service and the things that we say and do don't match the teachings of the one we say we follow. And I think people have realized that we really don't believe what we say we believe. We say that God is in control, but yet we place more emphasis on our politics than we do our relationship with Jesus. And I honestly think that we're more concerned about how our children might vote than we are concerned about how our children know the right answer to the question, who do you say Jesus is? Look, I, I don't really care what side of the political aisle that you're on. One of the things that I loathe is partisan politics. 
And this is not a, this is not a political teaching day. It's just, I'm just simply stating some facts this morning because I want you to think about some stuff. I don't care what political party that you're in. But if you look across the political aisle at someone who thinks differently and votes differently and is, is designated differently than you are and you hold them in disdain, you're not being Jesus. See, the hatred that we see spewed and we go, they just don't like us anymore. You know why they don't like us anymore? Because they think we don't like them. And they're right. Well, I'm a part of the religious right, pastor. Big woo. Jesus wasn't. Do you know why Jesus, we're still being impacted by his teachings today? You know why we're still being impacted by the Apostle Paul's teachings today? Because they didn't choose a side. They didn't choose a side. They stood in the middle and they reached to both hands. Paul, Paul actually said it this way. He said, I have become all things to all men so that by some means I can win somebody. I can influence somebody. Well, I just can't understand how a Democrat can be a Christian or a Christian can be a Democrat. It's none of your business. It's none of your business. Your business is answering the question, who do you say Jesus is to you? And if you think for a moment that the Republican Party is the party of God, that's just ignorant and foolish. I always teach after the offering. We say we love God. Oh, I love Jesus. I love God. But our actions toward others that think differently than we do is seen in our disdain, it's seen in our dislike, and even hatred toward them. Yeah, but they say vile things about us. Do you know why they say vile things about you? Because they don't know Jesus. You do. You should know better. As followers of Jesus Christ, we move from believing in Jesus to following Jesus, which means we pick up his ways and his actions and his words and his deeds, and we live the way Jesus instructs us to live, not the way the Republican Party thinks we want to. We say we serve Jesus, but yet we rarely serve others. Yes, I serve Jesus. Well, if you serve Jesus and you follow Jesus, you know that Jesus wasn't into titles. He was into towels. He wrapped them around his waist and he washed people's feet. And he said this. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And then he said, and to give my life as a ransom for many. What are we going to do with this guy? I mean, he doesn't fit into the mold of Republican or Democrat. He doesn't fit into the mold of a political persuasive person. Before we can look outside the church 
and say, this is what's wrong with society or that's what's wrong with society. We've got to look inside the church and look inside ourselves and revisit the next question that Jesus asked the apostles that day. Who do you say that I am? Because it really doesn't matter who other people say. It doesn't matter. Jesus gets very specific with the guys. and says, okay, I've heard you. I hear what other people are saying. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you're saying about me. Who do you say that I am? Very specific. There's two other times in the scriptures, many times, but I'm just going to highlight two this morning, where Israel is confronted with a question. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah and King Ahab come together. There's this famine, there's this drought, all this stuff is going on, and Ahab's blaming Elijah, and Elijah goes, I'm not the guy that's bringing trouble to Israel, you're the, you're the trouble in Israel. I mean, he just kind of confronts him head on. And then they call this big gathering, this big conference together of all the prophets of Baal, 400 plus prophets of Baal. They come together on this mountain in 1 Kings, and they're standing there, and Elijah just goes, Israel, how long? Here's the term. Here's what he says in verse 21. How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent, it says. And so Elijah looks at the prophets of Baal. He says, okay, guys, you guys build your altar. He said, set it up there. And he said, and y'all go first. Because here's the agreement that we make. The God who answers by fire... It's the God that we're going to serve. And so all day long, 400 plus prophets of Baal, they're weeping, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out to God, to Baal, to Baal, all this kind of stuff. And Elijah sitting on the sidelines going, you might want to be a little louder. He, he might probably sleeping. Maybe he's tired. I don't know. Read the story. This guy gets unbelievably sarcastic with these guys. Now remember, 400 plus of them, the king is on their side and there's one little prophet. And he's taunting these guys. And all day long. And finally, he says, okay, enough. My turn. He builds an altar, 12 stones. Digs a ditch around it. Pours gallons of water in it and over the sacrifice. Wets it beyond. Why? Because he, he wants to make sure there is no way to deny What's about to happen? And he steps back after they've done all this and he says, God, show them. That feels paraphrased, but it's kind of like that. <laughs> Boom, fire come down from heaven. Works, just, just burns up the sacrifice, laps up all the water, dries it, and literally turns the stones of the altar to dust. And all of a sudden, Israel is no longer silent. Hey, the Lord, he is God. They answered the question. Answered the question. Another time is in the book of Joshua. Joshua's lived his life. He's at the very end of his life. And Israel still hasn't completed the work of driving everybody out of the promised land that they were supposed to. But Joshua, he knows he's, he's at the end of his life. And he just asked the question. Joshua 24, he asked this question. Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Were the gods of your ancestors? 
of the Euphrates, Amorites, whose land you're living, but at, and then he makes this statement. You choose, but he said, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He makes a statement in front of the entire nation as he calls them to the question. Choose today. Choose today. Elijah, looking at the people of Israel and the prophets, if God is God, then worship him. Choose. Make the decision. Don't speculate on who people think he is and who people say that he is. Get specific about what's going on inside your own heart. Quit worrying about Democrat slash Republican or whatever out here and begin to look deep inside of who you are and ask yourself this question, which is what God is asking every one of us in this room today. Who do you say that I am? And how do I fit into your life? The speculation ends. We have to settle this declaration. And I think the biggest problem with Christianity in this nation is that this declaration has not been settled. Yes, you may have gone to an altar at a vacation Bible school when you were a kid, and you may have said a sinner's prayer, and you may have a belief in him, but you answer the, you answer the general question. God's a, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. No. No. Who do you say he is in your life? Do you follow him? Do you live the way he instructs us to live? Which means it doesn't matter what people do to you. You still love them, you pray for them, and you serve them. It doesn't matter their political persuasion. It doesn't matter what side of the socioeconomic tracks they come from. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. What matters most is that we become Jesus to the world in which he's planted us. That we live our life in a way that they know that Jesus Christ is the one that we serve and we love because we show them that same love. Everybody okay? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus just looked and he said, blessed are you, Simon. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in his heaven. And then Jesus said this to him. He said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Now, here's the thing. There's a whole bunch of people that think he was talking to Peter. Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. Because after all, Peter means rock and all this kind of stuff. Makes kind of sense. The problem was, it wasn't Peter that he was going to build on. It was the declaration. The declaration. You are the Christ. You are my Christ. You are my God. You are my Jesus. You are my Lord. And I will live my life in a way that imitates you. That's what expands Christianity. What declines Christianity is the mealy mouth mumbo jumbo junk that we've got today. When we stand and we look at other people and hold them in disdain and dislike just because of their political persuasions. That we look at people that have a different color of their skin and we hold them and look at them as less. We look at people that have all types of hurts, habits, and hangups and, and we look at them and we hold them in disdain because they are less than we are in our minds. And I'm telling you today that every single one of us are nothing but dirt and water 
foot and formed by the hand of God with the breath of God breathed into us. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? C.S. Lewis said Jesus was either a maniac, a charlatan, or he was who he said he was. It boils down to this, and we're going to close. We have to settle the lordship issue. We have to settle the lordship issue. There's too many things in our life that take in the place of God. There's too many things in our life that take in the place of the Lord. Because we stay in the generic. We stay in the general question. Who do people say, oh, I believe in God. I go to church one out of five. One out of eight. I go to church twice a year. I'm a member of this church. I'm a member of that church. I'm a this, I'm a that. And look, I, that's not the question. The question is, who do you say Jesus is to you? You see, here's the thing. We're either going to settle the question or the question's going to be settled for us. Because Philippians tells us this. And I love what he, how he starts in verse five. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can either make the declaration today and make it a fact in your life, or you'll be made to do that at some point in the future. Now here's the thing. On this side, I encourage you to answer the question. And live it. Live your life in a way that emulates Jesus. There's never been another person that's impacted the world and the history of the world the way Jesus Christ did. And yet he did it without attacking Rome. He did it without attacking people that were down and out. He did it without attack. As a matter of fact, the only people that he really smacked around good verbally were people that claimed to be religious. I wonder if Jesus were here today, would he see himself in any of us that call ourselves Christian? I don't know. I know the last few years he would be disappointed in us because we've literally lost so much credibility in this nation that it's going to take a long time for us to build it back. It doesn't really matter who others say Jesus is. Are you clear about who Jesus is? Are you personally clear? Is he the son of God to you? Is he your God? Is he the Lord of your life? If so, does it show in the way that you live? Because if he is Lord of your life, then you're gonna talk more like him, you're gonna act more like him, and our lives will be spent living the way he tells us to live.
And just as he did almost 2,000 years ago, he's asking the same question of everyone at Gen U this morning. Who do you say that I am? Let's stand all over the house. Lord, across this room and those that are watching in their living rooms on the internet this morning, you said something very important to Peter and you said that flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Father, this morning, I can't reveal anything to anybody. But I pray that you'll take the words that I've spoken in this house today and may they be anointed by your Holy Spirit and may you, through your Holy Spirit, bring revelation as we wrestle with this question, who do you say that I am? May we, may we move individually from a very generic, general way of looking at it to a more specific way of living. Do your work in our lives. And may we make it clear this morning the answer to the question that you're asking each one of us. Who do you say that I am? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed all over this house today. I just... I want to ask you, is this a question that you've got to answer this morning? Is this a question that you need to answer this morning? Is this a question that you've got to move from the generic, the general, who do people say, from a, I believe in God to I know that Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to live for him. If you're in this place today and you say, Phil, I, I, I've never answered the question, but I'm going to this morning and I'm going to answer it the way Peter did. Jesus, you're my Lord. Could I see your hand? Raise it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All, just put them right back down. Raise them, put them right back down. All across this room, yes. Yes. Now, everybody look up here at me. I'm not going to do what we normally do. I'm not going to say a prayer and have you repeat it after me. I'm going to simply ask you this question. You signify that you're going to answer the question this morning. That's good. Becoming a follower, of, a believer in Jesus Christ is simply believing that he exists. Him becoming the Lord of your life is simply believing that he is God that God raised him from the dead is believing. But listen, there's more to it than believing. The believing part of it is the generic answer. I believe, no. You've raised your hand this morning to answer the Lordship question. That means your life changes. That means transformation will occur, which takes a while. But today, because you've answered the question, you're in good relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven, all those things. But when you leave this place, when you leave here, you got to do something from here. 
you got to take a look at yourself. And you got to find out what's in your life that doesn't need to be there. You got to find out what's in your life that God doesn't want there. And you find that through his word. If you don't have a Bible, we have one, we will give you one. If you need someone to pray with you this morning, our prayer team's going to be around the front at the close of this service and they will pray with you. You say, well, this is weird, Phil. You're supposed to have them pray this prayer. No. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we don't. It's really not the prayer as much as it is the declaration in choosing to live it. Because I want you to do more than believe in Jesus. I want you to follow him. I want you to follow him because what we need in America are people who follow Jesus, not just people that believe in him. He's not just a prophet. He's not just an, uh, uh, a good person. He's not just a teacher. He is the son of the living God, the creator of the universe. And he is the one that forgives all of our sin, past, present, and future. And he is the one that walks with us and talks with us and gives us the ability to impact others if we love the way he loved. Who do you say that I am? You are my God. You are my Christ. You are my Lord. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together and then Tommy's going to come and close us out this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.